Hello and welcome to The Simply Christian Life, a podcast dedicated to living as followers of Jesus in a complicated world. My name is Michael Hun. In addition to being your host for this podcast, it is my joy to be the bishop of the Episcopal Diocese of the Rio Grande, a beautiful part of God's creation that encompasses the far west part of Texas and the entire state of New Mexico. In season one of the Simply Christian Life podcast, we read a wonderful book called You Are What You Love. And if you haven't listened to that podcast, I'd recommend that you do it. You Are What You Love is a fabulous book about the Christian life, what it's all about, and how to live it. And I hope you enjoy it. And if you're just joining us for this year, the year of Lent 2020, I want to invite you into a study of a book of the Bible. We are going to study the first letter of Peter together. As you may know, every 10 years or so, all of the bishops in the Anglican Communion gather together in Lambeth, England, called together by the Archbishop of Canterbury to what is called the Lambeth Conference. This year, in 2020, the Lambeth Conference will be held this summer. And as a part of the preparation for that conference, the Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby, has invited all the bishops of the Anglican Communion to study the letter of 1 Peter. Archbishop Welby says that 1 Peter is one of his personal favorites when it comes to books of the Bible, and it's also a book of the Bible that has to do with living out the Christian faith, living out our baptism and our baptismal promises in the midst of a complicated world where Christianity and the following of the way of Jesus is not supported or encouraged and sometimes even actively discouraged by the society around us. And so, as you know, what I'm all about as a person is trying to figure out how can I, as simply and clearly as possible, lead a life that follows in the footsteps of Jesus? How can I be a disciple of Jesus in my daily life and in my daily choices and in my daily living? And so that is what the Simply Christian Life is all about. And let us read together the first letter of Peter this Lent. Of course, there are a lot of ways to participate in this Bible study. You can just follow along, just you and me, together, one-on-one. Or it might be fun if you want to invite some friends over. Put on a cup of coffee, listen to an episode of the podcast, have a conversation about your Simply Christian life, and see how God might move within that. Here in the diocese, we also have a lot of small and rural congregations that are miles away from anywhere, And some of those congregations don't have clergy, and so they don't have a lot of Lenten programming, for example. And if that's the case, get your church together and uh, gather around somebody's dinner table or gather at the church and bring your Bibles and let's study the first letter of Peter together. Now, whenever we're studying a book of the Bible, it's really important for us to get to know that book a little bit, understand something of its history, who wrote it, when did they write it, why did they write it, what was it all about. The Bible is often described as a book in which a child can wade and a book in which an elephant can drown. And you can certainly just pick up your Bible, open to 1 Peter, and just start reading, and you'll get most of it. You'll get a lot of it. But if we really want to understand and go deep into both our Christian faith, but also into our study of Holy Scripture it's important to know some of the history of what it is we're reading. 
A lot of people know more about how their computer works than they know about their Bible. So let's talk a little bit about 1 Peter and why that book was written, who wrote it, and what it's all about. And then in episode two, we'll dive into the book itself. So where can you go to learn about a book of the Bible and when it was written and who wrote it? There are volumes of books that are called commentaries, and they look like big encyclopedias if you're old enough to remember what encyclopedias looked like when they were bound together. Almost every church that I visit, somewhere on the church property, there's a bookcase or a church library in which there are usually dusty and unused commentaries on the books of the Bible. You can go to your church, find that bookcase wherever it is, pull off the book that is a commentary, and read some of the history of the first letter of Peter. Now, a word of caution about commentaries. Some of the commentaries were written decades ago, and it shouldn't surprise us that scholarship has actually progressed. People have actually learned more about the books of the Bible in recent years, and so some of the older commentaries are just brilliant in terms of their theological insight, but some of them are also flat wrong about what people thought in those days versus what we know now. So find some sort of balance of a commentary that is both a little bit up to date, but also has the kind of theological depth you're looking for. I want to share with you a little bit from the New Interpreter's Bible Commentary. And this is an article about the first letter of Peter that was written by David L. Bartlett. Dr. Bartlett says that 1 Peter is a letter which is written for churches that are alienated from the surrounding society and for Christians who are slandered for their faith. The letter of 1 Peter has provided comfort for believers in troubled times from the end of the first century to the beginning of the third millennium. Using the imagery of baptism, 1 Peter provides a reminder for the baptized of what it means to live out the sacrament of baptism and to live out the sacrament in their lives as individuals, and as a community. And isn't that our project? Isn't that what we're trying to do as church right now? We are trying to figure out how can we live out the sacrament of baptism in our lives as individuals, and how do we live that out as a community of baptized people, a priesthood of all believers, a holy priesthood serving the world as Christ serves us. We are the body of Christ, and living into our baptism and our baptismal promises is the way that we do that. So having said that, I think First Peter is a wonderful book for us to read during Lent because Lent is a time for us to re-examine our Christian lives, to go back to our baptismal prom- promises, to draw near to God's love for us, and also to try to figure out how can we more earnestly and honestly and, and more directly live out our commitment to Jesus Christ in our lives. So I'm happy to be joining with you on this study of the first letter of Peter. Let's read a little bit more together from the article by David Bartlett in the New Interpreter's Bible Commentary about the book of 1 Peter, who wrote it, when they write it, and why. Well, the book is called 1 Peter, and for much of the history of Christianity, scholars had assumed that Peter wrote it and that it was the first letter that we had from Peter. Peter, who was brought into discipleship by his younger brother, Andrew. You remember how little brother Andrew came and he heard Jesus speaking, and then he ran to get his brother, and he said to Peter, We have found the Messiah. Come and listen to him. 
And so then Peter comes and joins the disciples. Perhaps it was that Peter that wrote the book, but scholars point out that there are a number of things that make it difficult for us to believe that that Peter was the author of this letter, which we call First Peter. And the first is that what we know about Peter is that he and his brother Andrew were fishermen, right? So uh, they were practicing Judaism at a time when uh, they were also speaking Aramaic. And so the two primary languages that we think Peter would have known would have been Aramaic and Hebrew. And yet, this book of 1 Peter is written in really elegant Greek prose. The syntax is long, the sentences are long, there are complexities in terms of how 1 Peter is written. 1 Peter appears to have been written by somebody who was an expert in the Greek language. And so would a Galilean fisherman know Greek? Would he quote the scriptures in the Greek version of the of the Septuagint, which is what happens in 1 Peter? Uh, or, or wouldn't a, a Galilean fisherman quote scriptures as he heard them in Hebrew or perhaps in the Aramaic translation of the Hebrew? Instead, what we have in the letter of 1 Peter is someone who writes Greek very competently and also quotes Hebrew scripture in its Greek form. And so that throws some suspicion on whether or not it was actually that Peter who wrote it. But still, as David Bartlett writes in his article in the New Interpreter's Bible Commentary, and I quote, In terms of theological claims of the epistle of 1 Peter, the answer one gives to the question of authorship may make surprisingly little difference. Whether it was written by Peter or by a later person in his name, this epistle helps to strengthen Christians in times of distress. It sets their lives within the history of God's activity, which moves from creation to consummation, holds up the atoning death of Jesus Christ, and encourages mutual love among Christian people and forbearance of enemies. Nothing in this list would be impossible for the historical Peter to enjoin. Nothing loses its power to shape the faith if these words were written by some later Christian in the name of Peter. Professor Bartlett is reminding us of something important about the study of Scripture. Sometimes we get all entangled with and wrapped up in historical questions. Who wrote it and when did they write it? And if Peter didn't write the book of Peter, then maybe we can't trust it. And is it the word of God if it wasn't written by the person whose name is on the book and all of that sort of stuff? But I want to give you some advice from Thomas Akempis, who wrote the classic Christian devotion, which we call the Imitation of Christ. And this is a section of what Thomas Akempis said about how we must, should read the Holy Scriptures. This is the disciple speaking, talking about reading Holy Scripture. We must look for truth in the Holy Bible, not curious concepts. All Scripture should be read in the spirit in which it was written. We must first search for what is profitable for our own spiritual lives, rather than mining Scripture for a sermon, talk, or Bible study. We ought to read simple devotional books as well as those that are deep and difficult. Do not let the writer's authority or learning, be it little or great, influence you, but let the love of pure truth attract you to read. Do not ask who said this, but pay attention to what is said. People pass away, but the truth of the Lord endures forever. God speaks in many ways to everyone without respect of persons, our own curiosity often hinders us 
in the reading of holy writings, when we simply want to discuss and debate issues, avoid these discussions. If you want to read for your spiritual prophet, read humbly, simply, honestly, and not to impress people with your knowledge. Don't be afraid to ask questions and listen in silence to the words of godly people. Don't be displeased at criticism from people who have been Christians longer than you, for there is a reason for their advice. That's a good approach to how we should read Holy Scripture, and while it is interesting and important for us to understand the history of the Bible and how who wrote it when, we also don't want to get stuck there, and instead we want to make sure that we are listening in to the deep truths that are there for us to discover as we study Holy Scripture together. So while we may not be sure whether Peter himself wrote it or a follower of Peter was writing in his name, we have some idea from the evidence in the text about when the first letter of Peter was written. Let's hear again from Professor Bartlett. All this suggests a date towards the end of the first century, when a growing Christian movement had already stirred up trouble among its neighbors, but had not yet attracted the attention of the emperor or been forced to choose between allegiance to him and allegiance to Christ. About the year 110 of the Common Era, Pliny the Younger, writing from Asia Minor, asked the Emperor Trajan for advice about how to deal with people accused of being Christians. The correspondence between Pliny and Trajan reflects the development somewhat later than the situation we hear about in 1 Peter. Emperor worship was now prescribed and the Christian movement was growing so fast that Pliny thought it needed to be checked. So what we think we know about 1 Peter it was, is that it was certainly written before the year 110, before Pliny got worried that the Christians were getting too numerous and so they might need to be put down. Instead, this is a letter written before those persecutions began, at a time when the, the Christian movement in Asia Minor was still a, a minority group that was growing, but it was also uh, causing trouble in the neighborhood. People were starting to wonder, should I pay attention to the secular culture or should I pay attention to the teachings of Christ? How do I live out my baptism in a complex and complicated world? Sounds familiar, doesn't it? So Bartlett says, this letter was written to churches in Asia Minor, people in exile, people vulnerable, people who were strangers in a strange land. He calls them a slandered minority. Dr. Bartlett says, It is also quite clear that the recipients of the letter were Gentiles who formerly shared the paganism of their neighbors and rejected it. The book of First Peter was written to people who used to be pagans, but they have become Christians, yet they're still living in and among neighbors who have not become Christians. They are Christian people living with and among neighbors who don't share their faith, who don't understand their ways. Does that sound familiar? And if we want a view into the church that was being written to, we can learn a lot of that from the text itself as well. Bartlett tells us this, If we can judge the social setting of the recipients of the letter from the rhetoric of its specific advice, we can also guess that there were more slaves than masters among these Christians and more believing wives with pagan husbands than vice versa. No advice is given to masters, 
but a lot of advice is given to slaves in 1 Peter. Women are told how to get along with their unbelieving husbands, but husbands, who presumably set the religious rules for their households at the time, receive shorter instructions, all of which presume that their wives are believers too. And so when as we enter into the world of the letter of 1 Peter, we are looking at a Christian community that is not shared with its neighbors. So the people who are members of the church, their neighbors don't go to church, and their neighbors don't necessarily understand their religious practices, and they may not even approve of them. We're talking about a Christian community that is predominantly poor. This is not the masters of the universe who are driving this Christian community. Rather, these are servants and slaves in the majority. They are mostly humble people who are living in other people's households, right? If I'm the servant of a master, I've got to be careful about how do I navigate in order to not lose my job. This is a Christian community that is driven primarily by the women in the community. The devout women who are Christians in this community, uh, many of them are believers and they're married to husbands who don't go to church. You know, as I travel around the Christian church and as I have for years, I see that that is often similarly the case. It is sometimes difficult for men to find their way into the church and the church community, whereas women have been the bedrock of the driving force that leads uh, church ministry for centuries. So as we lean into understanding the people for whom this letter was originally written, we get an image of the Christian community that looks like this. It's a mostly poor community, full of housekeepers and servants and people who don't have a lot of money or influence or power in their society. Advice is not given to masters and governors about how to rule effectively or how to guide large groups of people. Rather, advice in 1 Peter is given to those who are the servants in the household. How do you get along without losing your job? It is written to a community that is predominantly female, a group of, uh, of Christian people where most of the folks are women, and many of those women are married to husbands who don't go to church. The letter of 1 Peter, we have uh, the author writing to a community that's very similar to a lot of our churches today. It's a small group of Christian people whose neighbors don't really understand what they're about. Isn't that true of us today in the Episcopal Church and the Anglican Communion? Even our neighbors who uh, call themselves Christian have never heard of the word Episcopalian, and they wonder what we're up to. And the way we read scripture and how we live that scripture out may not be identical to what our neighbors are doing. And yet, it is faithful discipleship in the name of Jesus Christ, is it not? And so as we bring this first episode of season two of Simply Christian Life to a close, I want to thank you for listening, and I want to invite you to begin reading the first letter of Peter, which we're going to talk about in detail beginning next week. May God bless you, and may you have a holy Lent.